Oh, hello, and welcome to the first ever podcast brought to you by the Discovery Channel. It's taken a long time to discover podcasts. It has, but it's happened finally. And <laughs> My, you're the man. I am Richard the man. They've come to me. You're king of podcasts, I, am. I think. Thank you. I am Richard Herring. Yeah. Thank you for introducing me. I'm the other man who's speaking is David Vidal. I'm going to call him yeah, by his proper I, name. Actually, I'm the star of this podcast. You are. You are. Well, I mean, even though I've said you're king of podcasts, <laughs> it's, it's all about me. This one. Isn't it? it is. I'm going to let you do most of the talking because <laughs> you've done this very big adventure. Uh, you'd, in, you, the, what we're talking about is David Vidal on the Silk Road. Yes. Sounds like it's some kind of Wizard of Oz <laughs> fantasy. Yes. Which I'm hoping. I'm not for. allowed to sing on this podcast, but oh, I was tempted just then to <laughs> break into "I'm Off to See the Wizard." But as you see, I, I said it, I didn't sing it. It airs, David, on the Discovery Channel uh, at 9pm on Sunday the 21st of February. That was the first one, I imagine. Yeah, it's one of four programmes. Uh, it's a four-part series about the Silk Road. What is the Silk Road? Can I ask before I answer that question yeah. whether you had ever heard of it? Of the, I had sort of heard of it. I'd, I studied history, so I was aware right. that it existed, but I knew nothing about it. <laughs> really nothing? Well, apart from it's a road that they took silk from China to <laughs> well, Rome. That's, that's, basically, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah good, or, good. Well done. Or the uh, West. Well, to be honest with you, I shouldn't mock, because I knew even less than that right. when I was asked to do it. Um, I thought, yeah, I've heard of it. But I think it's something to do with the dark web, isn't it? Because I believe <laughs> the dark web is called the Silk Road. Ah, yes, so, it is, yeah. yeah. So it's not that. I haven't spent 12 weeks trawling the dark web for terrible things. Yeah. Uh, it is a trade route, and yeah. that sounds a bit dull, but it isn't dull. It's, uh, it's the first ever time that people started trading goods between one country and another. Yeah. And China, in... I should know this, but I don't. I think it's about the fifth century. Yeah, don't they, give everything away. Save something for the program. Okay, they have to well, watch yeah, the program right, no to find spoilers. out when it was. Spoiler alert: <laughs> It could have been the fifth century, but it might have been the seventh. Uh, yeah. And they discovered how to make silk, which I didn't even really know that. I'm going no. to I'm going to spoil that a little bit because otherwise I can't really talk about anything. Yeah, I didn't even know how that silk was actually made with a silk worm. Right. And how you actually do it? Do you know how you I do d it? Well, I you know again, I think like you say in the program, I kind of imagined that it was made by. Silkworms pooing out silk, but I didn't yeah, quite... Yeah, it's not really pooing out silk. No. They don't really poo, although it might come from a poo area. Yeah. But it is, yeah, they create a cocoon around themselves yeah. when, they're, uh, not, when their silkworms are not yet butterflies or moths. And that is the basic silk ingredient, yeah. and that's woven and whatever. So I didn't know that, but that was a state secret in China in the time of the Silk Road. Yeah. Because that was going to turn out to be their main industrial export sure. and then the Romans found out about silk they became obsessed with silk I mean <laughs> to the point that various Roman writers write damning condemnations of the women of Rome and the fact that they're obsessed with this material and whatever and it's crippling the Roman economy yeah. because they're buying silk and then actually the Romans hit on the idea of selling horses back to the Chinese so what you get for the first time is international trade now yeah. what makes it interesting and actually, one of the things I discovered is a big plug, a big plus for capitalism is with trade comes the swapping and transmission of ideas sure. and culture. So suddenly, it's not just a trade route or along the trade route, people are finding out about religion and music and invention mm. and things like paint, for example. Like I saw somewhere in, I think it was Dunhuang, which is... Uh, where the thousand Buddhas are. There's a oh, yeah. cave of a thousand Buddhas. So in that, I'm looking at the wall paintings, which are totally extraordinary there and painted around mm. about the time of the Silk Road, the start of the Silk Road. And there's a type of blue there that didn't exist in Europe, a pigment that didn't exist in Europe at the time. But as you travel down the Silk Road, you see churches in Central Asia 
that are springing up, and they a little bit later have this blue, and then eventually it's in Venice, right. it's in Giotto and Botticelli have got it, whatever. Yeah. But it, you can see the movement of it down this road, and that only happens because people are trading other stuff, but they, they think, oh, I'll try a bit of paint. I'll see yeah. if anyone wants a bit of paint or whatever. <laughs> or they're painting caves along the way, you know, and that's how culture moves yeah. along with trade. Yeah. It's kind of incredible the Romans didn't know. I mean, nobody... Yeah. How, did nobody they, how did they keep it a secret from the Romans? It, well, you could be I mean, executed. A, you could be right. executed in China. I mean, I believe you still can. Because <laughs> 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 human rights record isn't great. Uh, but it's mainly about the internet now. Yeah. It's mainly if you, if you use the wrong internet provider, they execute you, you know. But then... You, yeah, if you told anyone who wasn't Chinese, yeah. uh, or I think anyone outside even of the silk industry, uh, how you made it, you would be killed. I hope it's not true, because some nice men taught you how it was made, and I don't they know, think they're going to be killed. They're dead. <laughs> he gave you some tobacco, that nice old <laughs> yeah, man. they did. Yeah, and I'm putting it out on the Discovery Channel, which is a global force. So it's out there now. No, I don't think it's, a, it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> no. And actually, much later on, I think in episode three or four, um, I discovered that it did get out, and then by that time, I think I'm, I'm in Azerbaijan, right. uh, which is quite a long way from China. Round about three or four centuries later, they worked it out. Someone told them when yeah. they got killed, I don't know. And then Azerbaijan became a massive silk producer as well. Right. But actually, the Silk Road, calling it the Silk Road, Silk kicks it off, but then lots and lots of other stuff. Because it's back and forth, so there's horses going in the other directions, and yeah. camels going Well, there's a the legend, direction. which actually we don't touch on in the show. Right. There's a legend that the Romans were being, uh, were, were chasing some tribes, some sort of Mongolian tribes yeah. in that region, and they were about to kill them. And then the Mongolian tribes turned round and raised these banners of Silk that flashed in the sun right. and frightened the Roman horses and the horses turned around. And right. that's how the Romans were like, we have to find out what this stuff is. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of that moment in, I think it's carrying up the Khyber, <laughs> where they get their kilts up and that frightens. I think it's probably just come out of carrying up the Khyber, that legend. <laughs> yeah, that's legend. it's very death. similar. Yeah. <laughs> think, where can we buy that stuff that's under those blokes' kilt? But, uh, but that's, what, that's the legend, yeah. I don't know if it's true or not. No. Uh, but at that point, the Romans became fascinated by silk. Um, and they bought, you know, they wanted to buy silk in, in the barrel load. Yeah. So how did you become involved in this yourself then? If you didn't know about it, yeah. what, what, were you just asked to do this programme? Yeah. Did you, yeah. I mean, to be honest, none of that is why I did the programme. I actually became while I was doing it, which, I, which for me was good, because I think that one of the things about doing a show like this for me is I'm not Simon Sharma, <laughs> I'm not a historian, and I think there's a different way of doing a show like this. Yeah. I mean, to mention something else I do. Yeah. I do a programme on Radio 4 called David Baddiel Tries to Understand, in which I take very difficult subjects that I don't know anything about and try to understand them sure. in, in a very short amount of time. And the sort of idea of that show is actually maybe it's more involving for the listener to be have someone doing the journey that they're doing yeah. rather than a teacher person telling them all about it. Sure. So similarly with this show... I learn about it as you learn about it, and I, there were moments I can remember thinking, God, this is really exciting. I never knew that, and that was part of the process for yeah. me, particularly this sense of thinking, oh, you know, trading, trade and international trade sounds a bit dry. It really isn't, because yeah. it involves really the creation of modern culture. Sure. But in terms of doing it, I just thought, um, in Blade Runner, there's a bit where Rutger Hauer dies. Yeah, you know oh. that bit. Ruin I'm sorry, spoiler again. <laughs> um, and when he dies, he's an android. Yeah. He does a long speech about 
I think, seeing glittering flamingos by the star belt of Astra and all that kind of stuff. And then he says, I have seen things you will never see. Mm. And I saw that when I was about 15, and I thought, that's <laughs> what I want to be able to say when I die. Yeah. That I have seen things that you, Richard Herring, yeah, well, will you really never have. see. And, uh, and that's, <laughs> it does feel a bit like that when yeah. you're on the Silk Road or in places around it where you think like, in Kyrgyzstan or whatever, you think, oh, I seem to be somewhere where they're looking at me like they've never seen anyone who looks like me and I'm looking at them in the same way. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, you go through a lot of the stands. Yes. And, uh, which are places, again, that aren't very familiar, I think, to Yeah, uh, well, I actually went, I'll tell you, yeah. Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, um, and Azerbaijan, which is not actually a star, no. is it? That's a John. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, let, we'll let that through. Stan yeah. and John, and yeah. John's can be yeah. together. Central Asia, that whole region yeah. is known as Central Asia, but between China and Istanbul, the sort of middle bit, which is actually the diff most difficult terrain yeah. in terms of the Silk Road, and still is, not exactly for the same reasons. It's really hard to get around there because everyone hates each other there. <laughs> they all fight each other, they don't speak to each other. So to fly, you haven't seen this, have you? I think no. it's in show three, but there's a bit where the whole crew get ill. Right. They all get ill apart from me. And I have to carry on <laughs> filming with essentially some blokes that I found. <laughs> and it's really, it's good, it's really funny, but it is literally, are we gonna have to stop filming or can we keep going? The How did you not get ill and everyone else? Were you eating I different food them. than everyone else? <laughs> that was my <laughs> fault. Uh, no, I apparently, despite being 51 and Jewish, am robust in that <laughs> respect. And so it was all right. Uh, but I got, I'll explain it that in a minute. Yeah. But, the point I want, one reason why they got ill is that we had to fly from, I think it was Kyrgyzstan, to Uzbekistan. So we had to fly from Bishkek, which is the capital of Kyrgyzstan, to Tashkent, which is the capital of Uzbekistan. Right. That is about an hour's flight direct. It was 13 hours because we have to go via a whole series of other countries that right. do speak to each other right. to get into Uzbekistan. And then when we got there, we didn't have visas because the Uzbekistani government were like, what do you, we're still not sure what you're going to say about us. Right. And that is an important point, actually, which is worth thinking about, which is when you travel in these countries, you realise that history is live for them in the way that isn't quite for us. Mm. Like, I remember being in York after I'd done a gig <laughs> and hearing about the York Massacre from some guide, in which they murdered, I think, 1,400 Jews in the 14th century. Yeah, yeah. And I was a bit upset about it, obviously. Yeah, but so I'm, from your, I'm from near York, oh, yeah, so okay. I apologise. Okay, you can find to apologise. We're a bit late with the apology, but it's fine. But I, I didn't get a sense that the bloke, do, the bloke doing the guide yeah. thought, I shouldn't really be saying this. It's really bad for York. But in Uzbekistan, yeah. <laughs> the fact that we wanted to say, for example, that a central minaret that I went to in the square in Bukhara was somewhere where they used to throw slaves off just right. for sport. I mean, a long time ago, yeah. they didn't want us saying that. For them, it's real and live, and no, no, that's bringing down the reputation of Uzbekistan in the yeah. world. So that was why the visas weren't coming through. Okay. So we, had, we were stuck at the airport for ages. By the time we got to Bukhara, which is 50 degrees, no one had slept for you know, a day and a half, <laughs> and then most of them got ill. Right. So there was a lot of that kind of thing going yeah. on. How long did all this take? Because it's a, it's a long journey you went on. Yes, 3,000 miles, yeah. I think, altogether, or kilometres. Uh, well, it was made worse by the fact that I insisted on flying back to London every so often to see my children. Right, I wonder I think a that. proper explorer, traveller, <laughs> yeah. doesn't have that. They just say, no, yes, I'm going on it. But uh, I failed to be like Ranoff Fines. Yeah. Uh, and I said, I've got to come back and see my kids and help out with the school run. So I would, uh, I did it in sort of two and a half to three week blocks. Right. Over a 12 to 14 week right. period. Yeah. And actually... 
because the crew got ill, we had to do some extra filming at the end. We, we were going to go to Azerbaijan, but everyone had to be flown back to not die. Yeah. And so we then went back to do Azerbaijan at the end. Um, but yeah, I think it took about 12 to 15 weeks. Really, you should have walked it all or done the whole I thing know, on a camel. On a camel. Yeah. yeah. I know you're absolutely right. Uh, I shouldn't have done any of it <laughs> by plane or train because they didn't have those in the Silk Road at all. But, but you used lots of transport. Yeah. Which, what was your favourite transport that you used throughout this Well, journey? I'm going to say camel. Yeah. But I don't. But I, I have to say that camel. Have you, have you been on a camel? I haven't. I was quite interested in the camels. Yeah. Um, well, well, I mean, I say they're my favourite form. They're certainly yeah. the funniest form. Yeah, they're funny. They're funny animals. Uh, they're not comfortable. And there's a bit where um, I think it's in the show you've seen where I'm on a camel caravan. Yeah. Well, if anyone doesn't know, that doesn't mean a camel pulling a caravan. <laughs> That's a few camels. There's loads of camels. Loads of camels. Uh, and a guy called uh, Mr. Ying, I think, is no Mr. Lee. Is, is leading the camels. Did Mr. Lee was a, did you see him? He's the camel yeah. leader. He made up a song while he was doing that. I obviously can't sing it on here, <laughs> but he made up a song, and I thought it was like the oldest, most sort of evocative of the Silk Road song. Must be, it's amazing. Yeah. And he said, "No, I'm just making it up as I go along. <laughs> just like I'm just out of my head." But anyway, I was on the top of a ridge of an enormous sand dune. Yeah. I think they use that in the opening credits, and. I think the director had just done that because actually I thought, well, no, we could just go down there. <laughs> but he really wanted that shot and it's so uncomfortable right. being at the, at the triangular tip of a sand dune on a camel. Right. But I actually really, really like the camels in general. Their humps kind of move in a way that yeah. I hadn't anticipated like, would be the like case. breasts. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well, not really. Just, it was quite freaky. They started, I looked and yeah. they started like the independent movement. Yes, it's they that do. kind of weird when you're... You're there right. were two hump camels you were on. There were two hump camels, and no four hump camels. No, no. But there's a one hump camel. There's a one hump So camel. you were between the humps. None of them, I think, were pantomime camels, <laughs> as far as I'm aware. But yeah, because they've got water in them. Yeah. And actually, there is a real reason why uh, a camel is, is used, because the size of the Taklamakan Desert is enormous, and lots of people, in fact, did die yeah. trying to cross it, but... The, the camels that we were using were the camels that we were using at the time, right. and they are able to cross it in terms of if they're fed and watered enough. Yeah, yeah which uh, and you, you uh, drank, most can't. So you drank you drank uh, camel milk. I did. I'm yeah, very yeah. interested in the drinking animal. I've drunk some camel milk. Oh, have you? Where did I've you had it that? in. A, I had it on something for the weekend in a latte. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It wasn't even on. Uh, I used to do a routine about drinking different animals' milk, and you drink at least two different animals. I drink milks. camel and horse. Yeah, yeah. I might drink others. Well, cow. Yeah. Well, that's something we've all, I do we've drink all tried. Cow. That. A human. Uh, human, human no, I'd like to drink human, but no one offered it. If to you me. were in the desert and you know there was no, nothing I'd else available, you'd have it. No, I drink human without being in the <laughs> desert. I'd be entirely happy to do that. But as it was, I was. Uh, it was a strange moment, and again, <laughs> part of what was good about this show for me is it. It was planned the route but a lot of the time we would go off piste and just go and find something that looked interesting yeah and because we're a really small crew we were able to do that if you're top gear and you've got yeah. 32 people filming you can't decide let's go over there because this bloke says there's 200 camels over yeah there. but we were at the Kashgar livestock market Kashgar is in China it's on the edge of northwestern China it's um where um, a lot of people don't look Chinese anymore. They start to look very, they're called Uyghur people, nice. very Islamic, very Turkish and whatever. Yeah. Uh, a lot of tension between them and the Han Chinese. And the biggest market, or the oldest market in the world, I think, is there, which is the Kashgar livestock market. So we're just filming there for that reason. But then a bloke who runs the market, who's like the godfather <laughs> yeah. of camels, comes up to me and he's interested in me because I've got a camera. And it turns out, he wants to show me in a kind of proud, godfatherly way his camels. So then we go into this weird bit which looks like where people go missing forever and never seen again. But he's got all his camels in there. And then he starts milking the camels, which 
was very funny, I have to say, because he just disappeared into the groin area of a camel yeah. for a long time. Then his phone went off at one point, which was <laughs> hilarious. And then he insisted that I drink it. And yeah. uh, to this day, he swears it was milk. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of earthy. Taste. It was kind I of, think it tastes really nice. Yeah, it's sort of weird. Well, the, Wait, have, you was... tried, have you had fermented camel milk? No, I don't know. Well, if you're a hardcore camel yeah. milk drinker, that's what you have. Yeah. Never mind, yeah, I drank it on something for I the drank weekend it in a, in coffee. a latte. <laughs> if you drink it straight from the camel, yeah. like I've done. It's going to be different, for sure. Yeah, it's different. And which do you prefer? Do you prefer camel or horse milk? Camel. Yeah. I actually came back, this is a little known fact, uh, yeah. and Googled camel milk to see if I could buy it in Britain. 12 quid a carton wow. from some bloke in Green Lanes. <laughs> like, too expensive. I'd rather fly back to, <laughs> to go, back to, yeah, go back there to Kashgar and get it. Do you it. think you it could It tastes do, very nice. It's very yeah. creamy. Do you, do you want to do a series, you and me together, we travel the world drinking the milk of different, <laughs> different animals? <laughs> yeah, I would like see, to do see that. See if Discovery Channel will put that together. Yeah, I will. think that would work. Yeah, there's not that many animals that produce milk, I don't think. They're all the mammals. All the mammals. Yeah, Which milk. is the nicest milk? Um, That's what it'll be called. <laughs> <laughs> Mouse milk you could drink? That's not much, though. No, but you'd, you'd have know, to get so have to many mice milk. for one glass. It'd be worth it. So, do you have any... What, what were your expectations beforehand? Did you, did you... I didn't have that many expectations. My main hope was fulfilled, which is that I would be able to think like Rutger Hauer. I, yeah. I am seeing things that most people have never seen. Yeah. Um, what's good? One thing that's really good about going on the Silk Road is that even when you're in places that feel a bit like, okay, I'm not that, Look, I'm in China, people know about China, but I'm not in Shanghai or Beijing, I'm yeah. in Xi'an, which uh, is where the Silk Road began, but it's not, it's sort of a, like, quite an obscure city yeah, sure. for some people, and so it feels more like the real China. And then by mm. the time you get to Kashgar, it's like, I would never have known that parts of China feel much more like Istanbul than, yeah. than, than most of China. Um, so just that feeling of surprise. I'll tell you one thing which really at times exceeded my expectations, and this might be a personal thing, but the food in general was amazing. Yeah. I, there was a moment in very early on when I was in Xi'an and we did our first film in the Xi'an market, which again was like where the Silk Road would have had its kind of bustling heart at one point is like here. And it's now full mainly of young Chinese people buying tat. Yeah. Right? But quite interesting tat, but tat. Um, and if you get a camera out and there's a lot of young Chinese people, like a TV camera, they go mental. So that <laughs> happened. They're like really, really excited and assuming that I'm a big star, not knowing, of course, that my career was much bigger in the 90s. So Discovery should ignore that, by the way. Um, and, uh, and get very excited. And I was feeling, like, oh no, it's getting a bit out of hand now. And then someone pulled me out of there and I thought, oh no, now I'm going to be kidnapped by the Chinese Secret Service. I can tell. But it was a woman and she was saying stuff in Chinese and Again, this thing of trying to improvise and see what happens rather than yeah. like just going with a planned thing, because the, the, the director was trying to cut her off. I said, let's see where she wants to take me. And she took me to her noodle shop, which was in Xi'an Market, and put a bowl of noodles in front of me that she then threw all this herbs and chilli into. And what she wanted, it turned out, was her noodle shop to be on television. Right. right? <laughs> so I thought, oh, well, I'll play along. It was honestly the possibly the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. It was, it was so delicious. Right. I, have, I have dreams about it and really would like to go back and, oh, eat, and eat again. And there were lots of places that I ate. I also yeah. ate, when I'm in uh, Kyrgyzstan, I think, I uh, go with an eagle hunter. Have you oh, seen yes, that yeah, one? Yeah, I, I go with an eagle hunter to see his eagle kill a rabbit. Yes. Slightly upsetting. But I'm not too upset because I eat the rabbit <laughs> later on with his wife who cooked it. And again, I'm sort of watching that thinking, oh, this might be a bit 
horrible and he doesn't have a proper toilet and things like that. <laughs> uh, but it was totally delicious. Yeah. It was really lovely. So there's quite a lot of nice food is what yeah. I'm saying. That's good. Yeah. Um, and there's quite a lot of sport going yeah, on. You play football against some football. children. Well, they young, young teenagers. Men. I'd like to think of them as teenagers because I scored a goal. <laughs> if you say children, it takes away from the fact that I scored a goal, which I was absurdly overpleased about. I think it's, it's there. On and the is way. that really genuine, or is that it's set genuine. up for no, it fifteen so. times for the camera? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it's unfortunate because if you actually watch it closely, it's a terrible goalkeeping error. He just lets it through his legs. It looks totally like they've said let David score, we want it for the camera, or for his own ego. But no, honestly, it's a that real goal. That could still have happened, David, behind your back. Could you <laughs> yeah, let well, it score? could, yeah. It's possible that the director had a word. <laughs> but I, and I was very pleased. I, anyone who hasn't seen it, I go and see a football match being played by, some, by a school, really. It's a sports school, mm -hmm. or a school with a big sporting element to it, uh, in, in this place, Dunhuang, which is on the edge of the Taklamakan Desert. So very hot. Uh, which didn't help in terms of me having to play football. And as I'm going there, and this was about learning stuff actually, because they, I didn't have all the information all the time. Mm. Uh, they just, uh, the bit I read was just about football and about how the Chinese have a version of football. But I didn't realize, because I assumed that football was invented by the English, yeah. that it's an, I didn't think it was more significant than our version, but it turns out that Kuju, which is kickball, was played in the fifth century and now FIFA, and obviously you can't question FIFA's legitimacy, <laughs> have said that China invented football. Oh, Kuju right. is the first example of football. Would have come down the Silk Road yeah. as well, because people would have been playing it along the Silk Road. So that is in fact the spread of that game is, is them. So that was in, really interesting to find out, but also involved a shifting of my perspective, yeah. my nationalist perspective. And there's another sport with people, you referee? I do. People it doesn't involve me running around refereeing. No. I sort of stand by because I would have got very badly injured if I I'd actually refereed amongst it. It was, um, <laughs> I have to say, some of the health and safety risk assessment element of this shoot was not what it might have been uh, because no one had told me before and I certainly hadn't read it properly that I was going to at some point be charged at by about <laughs> 30 men on horseback. There is a dicey moment. Yeah, and also because they thought that was funny. I don't know if that's clear, but I'm standing by the... So I should explain what it is. Yeah. Uh, in uh, the nomadic area of Kyrgyzstan, there are these villages that are not permanent, um, and they have loads of horses that take the, the yurts from place to place. But what they do uh, to celebrate their nomadic culture is they fight each other on horseback playing these games, and one of them is a sort of... It's sort of a cross between... I think the medieval English football, where yeah. there would be two villages playing each other, yeah. uh, you know, with a <laughs> pig's bladder and polo, and so it's men on horseback, one village against another. But instead of a mallet and a ball, they've got a headless goat. Yeah. Not only do they have a headless goat, they, well, you don't see this on camera because compliance wouldn't allow it. They sacrifice the goat right. beforehand, <laughs> and it's really awful. <laughs> I have to tell you, but you know that's part of their culture. They sacrifice the goat, and then. The object is you pick up the goat while you're on horseback and it's like rollerball a bit as well. Yeah. You have to get the goat uh, with your team to a tyre, which is the goal. And if you throw the goat in the tyre, the tyre wouldn't have been there, I don't think, I in, don't the, in, know, the, in yeah. the 5th century. But anyway. In a wheel arch or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And that, then you get a point. A barrel. That, that's a goal. Uh, and, it, and I can't remember what it's called. Uh, hang on. I've got it here. Oh, yes. Buzkashi. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Uh, and so I, they, la they let me referee it. Uh, basically just say who won, but then they thought it was funny to present me with the goat and to do that the whole of the horse team, both horse teams, rushed at me and threw a headless goat at my feet. Then I thought it was funny 
and again, I don't think this is, this is on the show, to try and score a goal. So I tried to pick the goat up. Now, have you ever picked up a headless goat? I haven't, I don't think so. Yeah, it's no. so heavy yeah. and smelly and unpleasant. Uh, there was a big mistake. Right? I, and, I, and I just ended up sort of wandering around and falling over with the headless goat in my face, and it was really awful. But It's odd funny. that they cut off the head and don't use the head as the... The, the, you know, it's like someone's thought, let's cut something off this goat, yeah. and then we'll use the big. We'll use the bit that isn't like a ball. Bits. Yeah, that's true. They have thought that. <laughs> uh, it's a good point. But yeah. There's two things going on there. One is I think it's manly because yeah. uh, I dropped the headless goat yeah. immediately. Some big Kyrgyzstani bloke just picked it up as if it was nothing. Yeah. Right? And secondly, I, I imagine the winner. Well, I, I know the winner because they gave it to me. The winner of the game gets the goat, and yeah. obviously that's for the whole village. To win, you don't want the head, no. just the head. You want the, the loser should get the head. Loser should get the head. David yeah. Cameron should get the head. <laughs> per, oh, now you said that's libelous and contentious, <laughs> and you'd be told not <laughs> to say that. <laughs> the implication, I, I think. I don't think there's any implication. No, there. no implication. No. I'm he just saying he's a loser. That's he's a loser, and he possibly would like. He likes. No, I'm not saying no. that. Okay. I'm not saying anything about that. But that was the horse games. It was. And there's a lot, there's, well, there's, because there's lots of different areas you go into. So I love the archaeology. I'm into archaeology. So there's lots of fantastic old caves and, and, and things. Caves. What was your favourite of the archaeological kind of Indiana Jones oh, moments? God, there was lots of good ones. Uh, there's uh, one in Kyrgyzstan where I'm, I'm under the sea. Right. Did you see that bit? Don't, um, no. Have you seen that bit? No. I can't remember what programme that is. I thought it was in show well, two. Maybe I missed that bit. Well, anyway, there is a bit where I'm actually scuba, not scuba diving, really. I'm snorkelling. I was hoping to scuba, but uh, they couldn't get insured for, right. for scuba. So I snorkel, and I do find something, which, right. is, which is really exciting. Uh, it's where Tamburlaine, uh, who you may have heard of, have. Uh, Christopher Marlowe wrote a play yes. about him. Uh, he was a big conqueror in, I think, the 12th or 13th century in that region, yeah. controlled much of it. Um, and he had a castle on a lake, uh, a lake called Lake Isikul in Kyrgyzstan. Right. Um, and I dive with the main archaeologist, who's a Russian bloke, to try and face constantly finding stuff, little bits. And I find a little sort of tile that he thinks is definitely from Tamburlaine's palace. Wow. And it's really great. Yeah. There was no talk of whether or not I was owed some money for finding that. <laughs> You know, I just gave it to him. He never at any point said, well, obviously, you get a cut of whatever this is <laughs> They're worth. They're going to let you keep the tile. Yeah, well, no, I couldn't, because that's just, yeah, oh, go on. It's like a protected UNICEF Yeah, just thing. one, just one tile. Yeah. Wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked in my house. Well, I suppose not. Yeah. Did you get to keep the little, Mainly Ikea uh, in my house. The little frog that you... Yeah, the little frog, uh, the little frog I, I did keep, uh, and it was my lucky charm. Yeah. Uh, the little frog, unfortunately, does towards the end of the show gets lost. There's a point where okay. I really wanted him because I felt I need my lucky charm, but then he gets lost. Uh, but then he, he was found again, so he is at home. He's oh, all good. right. Yeah. That's good. That's spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler I'm sure alert. that's very exciting. Yeah. I talked earlier, didn't I, about the um, time when all the crew got ill while yeah. talking about lucky charms. Because he wasn't actually that good at Lucky Charm. Right. Because there was a point where it got really bad. Yeah. Uh, and what this is what actually happened. Uh, we were in Uzbekistan in this incredibly hot place called Bukhara, uh, which is beautiful, unbelievably beautiful. Every, yeah. every building there is like hundreds of years old or whatever. Uh, and in fact, it is a UNICEF-protected place. And so we got there, and I'm asleep because it's taken us 13 hours to fly there overnight. Mm. And then I get woken up by a call from London, from the, from the production company, saying... Um, the director's gone to hospital, do you know what's going on? And I looked out the window, and he hadn't gone to hospital, he was lying in the courtyard, moaning, covered in white flannels. Right. Right? 
which was, I think, the medical you know, approach in Uzbekistan. <laughs> Maybe it was a hospital, I don't know, but it was more like kind of mash than anything yes. else. So uh, I said, he's not, he's lying there, I can see him, and he's like moaning and stuff. So I went out, and he'd, he'd got a temperature of 104, and was sort of like moving in and out of consciousness. He did at one point say, film this. <laughs> right, I thought, well, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Uh, and then the sound guy, who was trying to call a doctor, started to feel ill. Oh, and then we managed to, anyway, to cut a long story short, we managed to get them both doctors, but they both had to go to bed with drips. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other person on the crew, the AP, a guy called Henry, I said, okay, we, we've only got one day in Bukhara and the show will have a huge hole in it if we don't film here, so yeah. you're going to film. And it's on camera, I'm saying this to him. Uh, and then we had a fixer uh, who was a Georgian bloke called Nick, who I think was in the Georgian SAS. Because right. all his stories seemed to involve fighting <laughs> off various types of rebels and Georgians. Okay. And, like, he was an unbelievable bloke. I yeah. felt very safe with him. Uh, and I said, can you be the sound man? Right. And he said, well, I'll give it a go. Right. And uh, it was slightly ridiculous because he looked a bit silly carrying all the equipment. Yeah. It was the only time he looked silly because he looked really strong and tough. But then you put the silly furry thing on him and, <laughs> and the headphones, he looked a bit silly. Anyway, so I thought, OK, let's try and film. And so the first thing we had to film was there is a, it used to be a very Jewish place, Bukhara, uh, but they all left in the 70s to go and live in Israel, apart from about three families. Right. So we went and met the sort of head Jewish honcho in Bukhara. Yeah. And I thought, that'll be all right. We get there, it's unbelievably hot, and we have to turn the air conditioning off, such as it is, because of the cameras. Yeah. So it's about as hot as it can be. They've, I thought, well, just meeting them, having an interview, they'd laid out an enormous lunch for me with like 12 courses, <laughs> blessings for every course, and most importantly, vodka with every course. Yeah. Every course. Right. So I thought, I have to drink this. I don't really have a choice. It will be rude not to. So I drunk it and got really, really drunk. Mm. I actually went to the toilet at one point and filmed myself doing an apology to camera for anything I might say. Right? And was incredibly drunk by the end of it. And then we had to go to the Central Square in Bukhara and film me wrestling because it's the national sport in Bukhara. Yeah. And I might not have done that, but I was so drunk by that point, I thought, I don't care. And so I, I wrestled with people who are really good at, at Uzbek wrestling. <laughs> And actually, here's the weird thing. I seemed to beat them all. Yeah. Now, that was definitely... <laughs> I couldn't have beat them, but I'm so drunk. I just think, yeah, I'm winning. Isn't this brilliant? <laughs> so I think it makes us some quite entertaining television. Yeah, and again, like something it. Simon Sharma wouldn't do. Probably not. Yeah. Not, not on camera, anyway. No. <laughs> Maybe the vodka was the thing that stopped you getting ill. It, well, Maybe it killed everything inside. Except I was having the vodka afterwards. Oh. They'd already got ill. Well, they got ill, but then you yeah, could have got ill. I could have caught off them and then I don't destroyed really, the germs. But touch wood, I don't tend to get that ill. I, did, um, I went to Africa with Comet Relief mm. in a football thing that they did in 1996 right. called uh, Balls to Africa. And there are some people on that, extraordinary people. The bloke who used to be in Brushstrokes was uh, on it. Carl Hammond. Carl Hammond, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but all sorts of people, Angus Deaton and Nick Hancock and blah, 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 Frank Skinner. And everyone there was frightened of the food because we were in Burkina Faso and right. places like that. And uh, I didn't. I, my choice was Ali everything. And... Everyone got ill apart from me. And I think that either means I've got a good constitution or yeah. by eating that stuff, you yeah. sort of train your stomach to deal with whatever's or thrown at you. Or the germs in one food kill the germs in another well, that's food. Also so possible. it's just a battleground yeah. inside you. Yeah, but my process when I'm in these places <laughs> is to eat everything I'm offered. Yeah. Is not to say, oh no, I'm from London, so I can't yeah. possibly eat that weird 
donkey meat. For example, there's donkey yeah. meat is a big thing in Central Asia. Yeah. Uh, and I'm very happy to eat donkey. And when we went to Armenia, you drank uh, coffee that had been in a cat's bottom. Uh, I did do that. Now, yeah. people should know I have worked with Richard before, <laughs> not just now. And we've done a travel show together. We, we went to Armenia to do a travel show. Yeah, it wasn't show. as good as this one. Well, it was you, very enjoyable. Why couldn't I have come along on this right. <laughs> Just <laughs> been a fat man, yeah. just going, what? what's going on? <laughs> David on the Silk Road, oh, and also Richard Herring. It would have been cool. Just we tagging could, along. We could have done a little show with the milk thing. Yeah. We could have filmed we the milk show. We could have got two yeah. shows out of it yeah, if I'd right. been there. It's a terrible mistake. But you'd have got ill. I reckon you'd have been ill. I definitely would have got ill. Yeah. Uh, and I'd have been a wuss about it. But you're quite, you're quite brave in all the, you yeah. know, you do you're kind of crossing a river on a little yeah. rope bridge thing. Yeah. I, I, wire I'm not really something. brave, stupid. Right. I think. It is quite, it's sort of when, because I think it's comedy to some extent, because you all know, yeah. and you're very good at it, I think, is that when you do comedy improvisation, when you're just ad-libbing, the key element is just to say yes. Whatever yes. Says. Just say yes, <laughs> go with whatever happens. Yeah. And I felt a bit like that when I was filming this, because yeah. I'd see something, I think, oh, well, let's film that, let's go with it. But that did involve a certain amount of putting oneself in danger. That bit, where I'm going across a bridge, yeah. I didn't even have to do that. Right. I just thought it looked quite like a laugh, because it was a rushing river bridge, and so it's made out of sort of wire thing I'd never seen before. I thought, yeah. I'll, I'll have a go at this. And uh, that happens a lot in it. Um, there's a bit in um, Turkey where one of the things about the Silk Road that I didn't know that, uh, is that pigeon poo is very important in the Silk Road. Okay. Uh, because the, the way that in that part of the, the world they managed to make the landscape, which is unbelievably unyielding, give forth fruit and vegetables, is through fertiliser okay. that they got from pigeon poo. They discovered the pigeon poo. But then... They also, because of the Silk Road, discovered that you, there's an ingredient in that that you can make into gunpowder with the Chinese okay. had invented, so a potassium thing. Yeah. And that leads indirectly, almost directly, to the fall of Constantinople because the reason that the Ottomans were able to attack Constantinople is they had gunpowder and they, they harvested it from yeah. pigeon poo. Okay? Meanwhile, I'm in Cappadocia, which is a part of Turkey, and again, I haven't read the risk assessment, and it turns out I've got to go and harvest pigeon poo, yeah. which is only available from the top of these troglodyte <laughs> caves, and there's these two really cross blokes who are trying to, who've got ladders, I mean they do this anyway, that's what they do is harvest pigeon poo, but they don't really want, you know, a bloke from northwest London <laughs> saying, can I join in, right, and they're, they're putting the ladders up in a really cross way, and next thing I know I'm sort of a hundred foot up in a cave full of pigeon poo, it's either going to fall off the ladder or asphyxiating. Yeah. Because it's really hard to breathe when there's a lot of pigeon poo or about. Or just catch some sort of awful disease. It catch some really weird disease. That's the kind of thing that happens in house. Is it? A man has been <laughs> yeah. cleaning pigeon poo off yeah. a cave roof. Yeah. Happens all the time. Yeah. And then gets a mystery disease. No, but it. that's part of it. No, it is a weird thing. Because a lot of time I thought, oh, God, if I was more of a diva, I would say no to this. <laughs> so what, what do you mean I have to go into a cave and sit and harvest, actually pick up pigeon yeah. poo? It could be full of rancid stuff. And you're driving kind of clapped out motorcycles yes. in a car that doesn't have, can't start. So yes, uh, that was my idea as well, actually, yeah. uh, with the car, because I like those Soviet cars. Yeah, they're interesting. Yeah, yeah. and when I was in Kyrgyzstan, I said, I think it'd be funny to go to the horse games in one of those cars, but then it turned out it didn't have a starting key or really a brake, so I had to ask the bloke who owned it to push me yeah. to get it started. How much did you pay the man who owned the car to rent his car? 50 Kyrgyzstani pounds, was he which happy? is about 5p. <laughs> he was all right with it. Yeah. He was perfectly all right with it. Laughing. It's called a Moscovite, that yeah. car, as well. Yeah, I saw, when I went to Berlin, I, went, I, went, I got to ride in one of the, one of the Soviet era, era cars. I can't remember what it's called, though. It wasn't that one. I did this oil thing as well. I took an oil bar. Yeah. Do you know about that? You haven't no, seen that? I haven't no. seen that. That was 
strange as well, but interesting. That was in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is all about oil. Yeah. Um, and I think the show that we do, which is show three, is about how that became, you know, later on in the Silk Road, oil becomes a major commodity. Yeah. Uh, not for cars yet, but for lamps and, and indeed for uh, military purposes. Because mm -hmm. uh, someone showed me, this, <coughs> if you're interested in archaeology, there's an amazing moment in show three where this woman archaeologist gets a, a thing out of the ground, looks like a little vase, and she says, what do you think that is? And it's a weird shape, and I can't quite work it out. She says, they'd fill it with oil. I still can't work it out. It's a grenade. Right. It's an early grenade, and they, it's like got a neck that, is, that you can pour oil into, then you light the oil, and then you chuck it. Wow. Yeah, it's really, really <clears> amazing. <throat> um, and, and in Baku, oil just comes out of the ground, almost mm. like in lots of places. You think, yeah. oh, right, that's oil. And it's quite exciting. You're tempted to go, Eureka, <laughs> I've struck oil. But there's also bits where there's a clinic there, a spa, and you, you're in bars of oil, and right. I, I did that, and it's really weird, and a little bit like hostel, or saw, or something like that, the rooms are very grim, yeah. um, and then, once you've been in them, a woman comes in, and has to get the oil off you with a kind of stick, Yeah. and she's really cross. I mean, I don't know if they're all really cross, but that one, again, That's kind furious. of a Roman thing, though, isn't it? There's a strid, is it called a stridgel or something? That's the, that's the, right, know. the Romans used to cover themselves in, I don't think, like, oil, I think, like, olive oil and stuff. But right. is, this, is this, like, oil... From the ground, it's you're crude bathing, oil. You're yeah, bathing in crude oil. Yeah. That's surely got to be dangerous. Uh, well, I didn't smoke in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> There's the Sarchi Gallery used to have that um, that big pool. Yes, of it's oil. like that. So you're getting get because you always think, oh, yeah. it'd be great to jump into. Yeah, that. it's I'd like that. Jump into yeah, that. it's a really weird feeling. <clears throat> it's hot as well. Is they it? heat it slightly. I mean, not to not to chip the fat level, but they heat it, and then you're in there for about ten minutes. But then yeah. it's really hard to get off. And I found what looked like oil residue like weeks later. <laughs> In there, yeah. I did quite a lot. That's actually something again, not on camera. But when I first arrived in Kazakhstan, in Almaty, in Kazakhstan, which was the second leg, uh, me and the Sandman decided to go to a—I can't remember what they're called now—but it's basically a spa. But a spa in Almaty is enormously fat Kazakhstani men <laughs> who wear green hats, sit around in literally unbelievably hot kind of sauna-like environments. And then you pay another man to hit you with a branch of leaves. That's what you do. You, you, he comes up to you, says something you can't understand, and it's clear that he wants you to pay him to hit you with some leaves. And so I did that, yeah. and he started to do it. And within a minute, I was screaming. and said, I have to stop, get out, I have to get out, let me get out. So I went out, and he couldn't understand it. He thought, but people normally like this. <laughs> and what was the, uh, the, I've got on my notes, buying an ice cream, which doesn't sound very interesting. I didn't see that one, I don't think. What was the bottom? Uh, I think that's in the fourth show. Right. I'm not sure why, uh, yeah. Uh, I remember being a bit pissed off with it. This bit because right. it had been done behind my back. <clears throat> they thought it'd be funny because I was quite hot and tired at that point. We've been walking around mm. Istanbul for ages uh, and sort of had filmed all we needed to film, but the director was like, no, no, let's get more shots, more shots or whatever. So I then said, can I have an ice cream because I'm tired and I'm hot. <laughs> and unbeknownst to me, they'd found a bloke who does kind of, it's essentially for five-year-olds, a thing whereby he gives you an ice cream and then through sleight of hand, the ice cream disappears and right. then he does it again and then something else appears. It's like a bit of magic trick. Right. And I just stood there thinking, and I just, I want an ice cream. Don't, I'm not interested in this bit that you just set up for the film, but I really want an ice cream. I did get the ice cream in the yeah. end. Oh, it's childish. I was know. it made out of what milk was? What it, was, was milk? Out, it was made out of bees' milk. <laughs> bees' milk. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Aphid milk. The aphids, yeah. aphids have milk. They're yeah. a rare non-mammal. Yeah. Um, and you're reading Marco Polo's book all yes. the way through this. So yeah. you're, you're following basically in the footsteps of Marco Polo. I think, I think there were some bits where we were <coughs> absolutely, in terms of the book, completely mm. following. Like, for example, at the oil place, yeah. 
Um, he talks in that about how there is a legend that traders, a particular trader, had his camel had collapsed round about Baku and had left the camel and gone off thinking, well, the camel's dead, I'll try and make it on foot, had made it on foot, mm. and then was coming back that way, like four months later, and the camel was fine. And this is a legend, of course, but it led to people thinking, oh, well, what must have happened is the camel fell into an oil pool, the oil was nurturing, and right. raised it again, rather like the vodka with yeah. the scorpions. Uh, and that's what led to the idea that oil is good for you. Yeah. And, um, but Marco Polo, I read that out at the um, spa that I was, I was at. Um, so yes, the only thing about Marco is, uh, there is some controversy about Marco, okay. I don't know if you know this, that he may have made it all up. Oh, wow. There is some, because there are lots of other explorers, mainly Chinese ones. Yeah. The thing about China is that you do discover, if you do anything about it, is that almost everything that we think we've done first has been done in China. Yeah, it does seem that way. Yeah, and there was a Chinese explorer, whose name now escapes me, uh, but who travelled the Silk Road before Marco Polo, wrote about it. And if you read Marco, you think, like, <laughs> very similar, similar experiences and quite some quite similar words. <laughs> stuff. So he might have done it or he, he might, might not. No one really knows. Did he invent the polo? Was that... Yeah, that was Volkswagen. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, is, uh, do you think he would have been as successful as a historical figure if he didn't have uh, such a, uh, a, a nice name, name? A name that works. It's, it's just Marco, yeah, Marco Polo. Polo. It's a brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely, right. it's like a children's character. Yeah, it's a brand, isn't it? Marco, <laughs> it's Marco Polo. Polo. Yeah, no, I, yes, I think he would. I think he'd still appear, even if he I mean, was called, called... Ian Norman. Ian Norman. <laughs> well, I think as if he was Italian, if he was called Ian Norman, people would have thought that's a bit weird. But, uh, yes, no, he was, very, it was like a bestseller at the time. Yeah. But he may never have left Venice or wherever it was that he left, he lived. But it was very, doesn't really matter from our point of view, because either way it's still described, even if he nicked it all, yeah. it still describes what the Silk Road was like at that time. Yeah. It's actually a really good book. You know, it okay. is really interesting. Um, so you met lots of people, um, and there's lots of funny people along mm. the road. Who, who, who do you think your favourite, the individual person that you met was? Um, Are you staying so in touch with anyone? Uh, I, well, I, no one in particular. I mean, I met loads. One of the good things about this show, for me, is that Discovery mainly do man against the environment. That's what all their other people do, like yeah. proper men. Idris Elba, people like that, <laughs> uh, Bear Grylls, those kind of person, and they're fighting the environment. So there's really them on their own. Yeah. Whereas with this, there is a lot of interaction with different people, so sure. I get to meet thing, people like the Camel Godfather or whatever, yeah. um, or there's a bit, which I think you probably have seen, uh, where I'm finding out about these irrigation tunnels mm. uh, that are in uh, um, Turpan, uh, and then I meet a guy called, what is he called, he's called something like <laughs> Mr. Woolley, I think his name is, <laughs> uh, and he is the expert on irrigation in the 14th century or whatever, and yeah. in my normal life I never meet Someone like that. I really wouldn't. Uh, I tell you, one person I did like, but there's not. There's only a very quick shot of her. Is uh, in China. I have to go on an overnight train yeah. from. I think it's from Dunhuang to Turpan, and that's like a 17-hour journey because everything in China. There's nothing yeah, short yeah. in China. And we, we had a carriage booked, but when we got in there, there's a sort of 127-year-old woman in one of the bunk beds, and there's no, not getting her out. It's just not happening. So I slept with her. I mean, I'm on a different bunk bed. I didn't get into her bunk, but she. I communicated with her quite a lot because she was often awake and looking around and wondering, I think, where her family had gone or whatever. And so I would smile at her and we would sort of talk. I would say, I think we've arrived and things like that. And it yeah. felt to me like, you know, I was crossing over the great boundaries of culture and language <laughs> to talk to this woman. So I liked her. Mr. Mr. Lee, the camel bloke. Yeah, he, he was, was good. He was fantastic. Yeah. I have no idea how old he was because he could have been younger than me. 
where the sun had baked him <laughs> to a point where he looked much older. Well, the, 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 let, the nomads tell you if you drink the mare's milk, it'll make you, for 10 days, you'll become 10 years younger. Were you 10 not, years younger, yeah. You're not tempted to stay there for 10 I, days I, and I, see if I, that was the case. I had to get, well, I drank quite a lot of it, yeah. but I didn't notice that happening. No, well, me. you didn't do I 10 didn't, days. I didn't, really, you have, I didn't stay, have enough commitment. Stay, hold I didn't have enough commitment. If you get 10 years younger, she that's worth She was Sinbad, I think yeah. her name was, right. which just sounds like, again, like a man. But <laughs> Sinbad was the, was the big matriarch of, the, of them. The bloke in the camel games who gave me the goat, he was good. A lot of the fixers you don't see so much of. So this guy from Georgia, um, who was called Nick, who was in the Georgian SAS, he also, like everyone in Georgia, owns a vineyard. Right. right. Everyone in Georgia owns a vineyard. And he gave me a bottle of wine in just a sort of big mineral water bottle right. that I think is the nicest bottle of wine I've ever had. Right. And, I, and I used to be a bit of a ponce about wine. I've got some proper old wine at home yeah. and stuff like that. Honestly, it was unbelievably nice. I started saying, knowing this is never going to happen, I'm investing in your vineyard. We're going <laughs> to open a huge wine thing. It's fantastic. Yeah. But he was brilliant. You know, a lot of those people, yeah. one in, in China called Mandy. I, I really like the Chinese. Something I think I'd like to say is, before I went to China, I had quite a few people telling me, oh, the Chinese, they're a bit rude. Yeah. They like spit a lot, which they do. They do spit a lot. Um, and they're sort of much more sort of direct and brusque than, than, say, the Japanese, who you might think of as being very polite or whatever. Mm. But they were really nice. Um, and um, uh, we had the Chinese Secret Service with us for quite a lot of it, especially when we were in this Ugar place. Mm. And they, at one point, did a slightly weird thing, which is they forced us to see... Um, I've got lots more to say. Uh, they forced <laughs> us to see this sort of show area, show quarter, okay. where, I mean, I think, I think it's like what the Nazis did with Theresienstadt, right? It was like, like, this is the lovely place. Look how nice it is. I, was thinking, I thought, this yeah. isn't real. Yeah. But even them, I thought the secret service people were really nice to me. Right. And I had this theory, which I'll be interested to see what you think about, which is, it's probably quite a racist theory, I'm going to say it anyway, which is that the Russians and the Germans, I can sort of see it in their national character that they've ended up with a dictator-led history at times, mm -hmm. you know. The Chinese, who really have as well, they seem like really gentle and like not not at all. Like I couldn't see it mm. in the individual Chinese people I met. It seemed just an, an anomaly to me that they'd mm. had such a difficult political history. But there you go. Did you tell them you had a cat named after Chairman Mao? Mao? Uh, I, I did, in fact. I with Mandy, who was yeah. the because I, I had a go with her. Not I don't mean I had a go to have sex with her. <laughs> I mean that I said to her because she seemed particularly liberal. I said to her, how do you feel about the fact that Chairman Mao is on the banknotes, which he is? And she gave me what is the party line. And the party line is, he did some good things and he did some bad things. And we don't really think of it like that because there's <laughs> 60 million people who were killed. Uh, but I, I did mention, I think, Chairman Mao, but she didn't think it was funny. But that might just be a language thing. Yeah, well, you know, they probably don't say cats and Chinese probably don't say meow. Yeah, they won't say meow. They probably say, ah! <laughs> yeah, they won't say meow. They're milks, lovely, though. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and would you, would you do anything differently if you could do it all again, or are you happy with the way it turned out? I'm very happy with the way it turned out. I wouldn't mind doing it a bit longer. Right. Uh, because I think there's lots and lots more to see. Yeah. You know, uh, as I say, it's only one road through the silk route that we mm. took, which meant we missed out an awful lot of cool. Central Asia, places like... Tajikistan, because there's different routes within the Silk well, Road. It's not just one road. Yeah, it's and also as time goes on, because it's hugely covers an enormous amount of history. Yeah. you get interactions with, for example, the Spice Trail. So, this, you know, without I don't want to give away because we talked about how the Silk Road ends at mm. the end of it. But part of what happens is that uh, the sea becomes a much bigger 
way of travelling for certainly for goods and for imports and exports and that partly is to do with spices mm. becoming a much bigger sort of luxury item than silk okay. um, and then next thing you know people are travelling by sea rather than by road and that's a kind of different route but I nonetheless would have loved to have looked, gone to places which were Persia which were part of it and to places you can't go now that's part of the problem is like mm. the old Silk Road involves Iran and Syria and Afghanistan <laughs> and obviously I can't go there, but it would be fascinating to be able to. Yeah. Uh, and it says on my piece of paper, why should we watch your show? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I think because it's a... Well, uh, Victoria Wood once said, uh, at the start of a show, uh, not, not dissimilar to this, she once said, well, I'm 50 and I'm a comedian, and so obviously now I have to do a travel programme. <laughs> uh, so it's in the style of those things yeah. that uh, he, she's done and Griff Rees-Jones has done, and, uh, but I think I quite like a comedian doing a travel show because as I say it's not a talking down to you no. here's what you need to learn about this it's hopefully a series in which you experience stuff that I'm experiencing yeah. at the same time I found out that there were things about the Silk Road that seemed to me unbelievably kind of interesting and educative about the way that we've ended up a modern culture yeah. a modern people yeah. um, and so that's the way is to watch it to find out about stuff but also have a laugh along the way yeah I mean it's, you're funny in it but it is a serious programme as yeah. well so that's the you know you yes. are learning things and yeah. you're seeing lots of I mean it's not I, actually a comedy show no no no, no of course not but you yeah. know when I mean, you asked I'm, I don't want to say it's not funny because no. it is funny but, yeah. it's, but, it's, but it's a serious look at these things yeah. and I think what's interesting I would say is just seeing these places that you would never see yeah. and, and like you say I think one of the stands maybe Kyrgyzstan you go to and this is inc- impossibly beautiful like yeah. a fairy tale yeah. and you would never you you know, well, I think that think is important, that. actually, yeah. One reason why I think you should watch it, and obviously this is part and parcel of a travel show anyway, but it, it perhaps is less clear in a travel show where you think, like, oh, it's about history. But just to see it now, these places, is that you would never go to, is they are really beautiful. I mean, I thought really about, I must come back to Kyrgyzstan, because it's astonishingly beautiful, but mm. you never think of going there. No. Um, and, and lots of places, you, the, the, the sheer visual power of it, is great, um, and so I think the series looks great. Mm. Another reason to watch it. <laughs> it does yeah. well. It does. I agree with that. Um, I, I disagree with everything else you've said. <laughs> 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 and you definitely that goal was definitely set up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, well, I think that is I there anything else? It. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I think that was very interesting, and we've got. You can, I'd like you to say can... that I love you. Thank you. That's, That's all. Thank you for getting me in. So I'll just reiterate, the programme starts on the Discovery Channel, 9pm, Sunday the 21st of February. Do tune in. Uh, and uh, the, for more Discovery stuff, including exclusive videos and behind the scenes from the show, visit www.discoveryuk.com. You can also follow Discovery UK on Twitter. Can you? At Discovery UK, if you want. Yeah, I do. But then I'm and, involved, uh, what so sort of I stu- would do. What sort of stuff do they tweet about? My show. Yeah, it's one of the things they that's tweet what about. I'm, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. It's yeah. going to be a lot of spam coming through. <laughs> uh, and you know, but if you haven't got that many fret people following, will they follow you back? You think they have followed me? Let's back, say yeah. at Discovery UK. If you follow at Discovery UK, I guarantee they will follow you back. Yeah, okay. We can't I guarantee. Say that. That. We can't say that. Do you work for Discovery? No. <laughs> no I'm gonna, they're going to have to do it because yeah. I've said it. Yeah. And they're on Facebook as well at Discovery yeah. Channel UK. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, are you going to plan to do more I hope so. travel stuff? Uh, I hope so. Yeah. I, really, I mean, I've done a few. I've yeah. done a few because I did that thing with you. Yeah. I did The World's Most Dangerous Roads. When I did Who Do You Think You Are, it involved a lot of travelling. And I like doing it and mm. I like reacting immediately. 
sometimes comically, sometimes just having an insight or whatever to whatever the landscape presents that I'm in. So I'd like to do it again, yes. Good. Well, hopefully Discovery, if, if you follow them on Twitter, they're yeah, gonna, they're that's, gonna, that's, that's enough. That's good. They're going to be yeah. pleased with that. Yeah, they are. It's hugely nice. pleased with You're that. You're friends with them. Yeah, so I think I've go... got more followers than them. Yeah. Oh. So. Now, now you've said that. <laughs> that's the end of it. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much to David Badiel, my <laughs> guest. My that. guest here. Richard always calls him Badiel. <laughs> It's my, Badil, my dad course. always calls you I know David Baddiel. Yeah. I mean, he can't be wrong, he's a headmaster. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I've been Rich Terring. I have other podcasts, but I swear in those Ansing songs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you.